Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, May 17th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. All right, I'm not going to lie. I will be glad when I don't have to talk about the trade war anymore. You'll recall earlier this week, it was all doom and gloom on the trade war front. The U.S. had up tariffs on Chinese goods. The Chinese were talking about retaliatory tariffs. Talks seemed to have broken down. Well, fast forward to today, and it's all sunshine and lollipops. Optimism is back. A deal is going to get done, and by golly, it's going to be the best deal in the history of deals. Oh, wait. I just looked at this morning's headlines. Global stocks are in retreat this morning because... You guessed it, the trade war isn't going well. The focus is now on President Trump's decision to place Hawaii Technologies. I probably said that wrong, but uh, they're on a blacklist that prevents the company from dealing with U.S. companies without prior approval. Unsurprisingly, the Chinese are less than pleased, and there was an all-out assault on the U.S. position in Chinese media this morning. In fact, they were likening it to uh, an actual war and saying their position was unassailable. So, as you would expect, markets went along for this roller coaster ride. Stocks fell hard earlier in the week. On Monday, I think was the worst day, the Dow dropped 617 points. The NASDAQ was down 3.4% that day. The Russell 2000 was off by more than 3%. That actually prompted Peter Schiff to say he thought the bear market rally we've been in is over. But markets rebounded on Wednesday and Thursday. It was partly renewed optimism that the trade war would end. As one analyst put it, investors are trying to price in a breakthrough in Sino-U.S. trade talks due to the conciliatory tone from both camps. Obviously, that wasn't this morning. The market rally was also partly due to some good economic data. The home building numbers came in better than expected, and we continue to see some good employment numbers. Unemployment benefits fell more than expected last week. The dollar also hit a two-week high, which created headwinds for some commodities, including gold. But you know, it kind of seems like the markets see what they want to see, because fundamentally nothing has changed, right? The trade war is still ongoing, and the economy is the same today as it was on Monday. In fact, it seems like analysts are kind of cherry-picking the data and calling a half-empty glass half-full. I guess we all have a tendency to read these various reports we get day to day and interpret them according to the mood of the moment. That's why I've emphasized over and over again on this show that it's important to have a well-developed economic framework and understanding what's going on in the economy so you can see the big picture. You've got to have a grasp on the underlying dynamics and how the business cycle works. Otherwise, you just get tossed around day to day by whatever data the guys at CNBC, Bloomberg, and Fox Business throw at you. Here, I'll give you an example of how pundits can switch their view of the economy 180 degrees within literally a matter of days. Here's a paragraph from a Reuters report. This was on Wednesday. Quote, U.S. retail sales unexpectedly fell in April as households cut back on purchases of motor vehicles and a range of other goods, pointing to a slowdown in economic growth after a temporary boost from exports and inventories in the first quarter. Okay, so that was Reuters on Wednesday. Here's a CNBC report from this morning. 
U.S. stock indices extended gains on upbeat earnings as well as robust economic data that underlined the strength of the domestic economy. All right, so which is it? Is economic growth slowing down or is the domestic economy strong? Because, you know, it can't be both. On a little side note, I thought this comment from an analyst quoted in that upbeat CNBC story was interesting and telling. He said, we still see broad strength in the overall global economy, which is currently benefiting from more fiscal and monetary stimulus. Ah, yes, the Powell paused. It's doing its job. We're still seeing some juice because everybody thinks the easy money gravy train is still on the tracks. So, how is the market yo-yo impacting gold? Well, it's been on a yo-yo string as well. Early in the week, spot gold prices rose 1.1%, registering their best one-day percentage gain in nearly three months. We were over $1,300 per ounce a couple of times this week, but the yellow metal gave back those gains yesterday with the biggest one-day percentage loss in a month. This morning, gold is trading in the 1286 range as I record this podcast. I want to pivot back to the comment that that analyst made about the economy benefiting from more stimulus. Basically, that means low interest rates and easy money, right? When you boil it all down, we're talking about debt. Now, borrowing is great until it isn't. We all know that credit is a finite thing. A credit card can keep you going for a while until you start bumping up on those limits and until you start struggling to make the payments. So we have this booming, using air quotes, economy built on debt, right? Well, when it comes to this so-called booming economy, it's basically until debt do us part. And there are indications that the debt bubble balloons could be close to popping. There are a couple of troubling things that were buried in the latest New York Fed household debt report. First, the delinquency rate on student loans is approaching 10%. Yes, nearly 10% of the 44 million plus student loan debtors are delinquent. If you're following along with the math at home, that's well over 4.4 million people who are delinquent on student loans. The total of the outstanding student loan debt in the U.S. has more than doubled since 2009, when it was a mere $675 million. Student loan debt ranks as the second largest consumer debt category, trailing only mortgages. Get this, students who graduated from college in 2017 left school with an average debt of $28,650. All of this debt is having a significant impact on the financial prospects of young people. Student loan debt is one of the biggest factors driving a growing trend of millennials struggling to transition into adulthood. You know, we hear the stereotype of the kid living in mama's basement. Well, there is some truth to that. And Generation Z, the cohort that's coming up behind the millennials and currently hitting their college years, they're not likely going to fare much better. Former J.P. Morgan analyst Kelly Peeler told the Detroit News, quote, student loan payments are the crux of the financial identity of Gen Z. Yikes. Peeler went on to say there are indications that Gen Z might not be able to own homes in the future. They might not be able to have children to the capacity that millennials did because they are paying $350 per month. For baby boomers, that was going to their mortgages. 
So it doesn't take a PhD in economics to realize this creates a tremendous drag on the economy. Every dollar spent paying off loans is a dollar not available to buy houses, cars, or to put into savings. Of course, politicians and school officials blame the student loan crisis on lack of funding for colleges and universities, which is laughable. In fact, universities are flush with cash thanks to these easy-to-get government-backed student loans. With all of the dollars available, backed by the good name of Uncle Sam, schools are competing for students and all the student loan dollars that come with them. Schools have to one-up each other with amenities to attract the brightest and best. In other words, the kids who can get the loans. As a result, students today get a much more luxurious university experience than we could have ever dreamed of a few decades ago. Schools give students free iPads. They furnish dorms with Tempur-Pedic mattresses and granite countertops. That's a real thing. And they build multi-million dollar student centers and fitness centers. This is what is driving the cost of university education up. This isn't mere speculation. A paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research a couple of years ago found that a large percentage of the increase in college tuition can be explained by increases in the amount of available financial aid. Now, keep in mind, American taxpayers ultimately hang on the hook for the vast majority of these delinquent loans. And this isn't the only debt bubble that seems to be growing out of control. Auto loan delinquencies have surged to the highest level since 2011, and they are fast approaching levels seen at their peak during the Great Recession. Now keep in mind, this is during a time that's supposed to be an economic boom, right? The percentage of outstanding auto loans that are in serious delinquency, that means 90 days or more past due, jumped to 4.69% in the first quarter of 2019. Now, at their peak during the recession, auto loan delinquencies hit 5.27%, so not too far away. The total amount of delinquent auto loans totals about $60 billion. In dollar terms, that amount is actually far above levels that we saw during the Great Recession. So there is more total dollars delinquent right now than there were at the height of the Great Recession when you're talking about auto loans. Meanwhile, total outstanding balances on auto loans and leases grew by 4% year-on-year in Q1 to $1.28 trillion. While the dollar amount of outstanding auto loans has surged, the number of accounts has only grown by 34% over the last decade. In other words, much of this increase in the auto loan balance is due to the ballooning amount of money financed with each new loan and longer loan terms that cause the loans to stay on the books longer. It's not that more people are buying cars. Did you know that subprime auto loans are a thing? Just like the subprime housing loans we saw in the years leading up to the housing bust, when we say subprime, think risky borrower. And they even package these subprime loans and sell them on the market as equities, just like they did those risky mortgages. What could go wrong, right? The collapse of the subprime auto market probably won't have the same impact on the economy as the housing crash did in 08. The industry isn't big enough in dollar terms, but what is going on in the auto industry is indicative of broader trends in the U.S. economy. What we're talking about here are yet more bubbles blown up by the Federal Reserve's easy money policies. You know, the monetary stimulus that our intrepid analysts lauded as benefiting the economy. Like I said, It is until it isn't. 
As I've been saying, it's always about fundamentals. If you want to learn more about how precious metals can help preserve and even grow your wealth in the midst of all of these economic shenanigans, call a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist today at 1-888-GOLD-160. They can tell you how to get started with precious metals investing if you haven't already and can help you uh, grow your portfolio if you have. Well, that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week at shiftgold.com news. Also, you'll want to check out the new It's Your Dime interview that is out. It's with Anthony Samaroff. He's the host of the Scottish Liberty podcast and also the author of a couple of books. We talked about universal basic income, and I think you'll find that uh, conversation interesting. You can check that out. I'll link to it on the show notes page. You can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at iTunes or on Shift Gold's YouTube channel. You'll find links on the show notes page. As always, we would appreciate it if you spread the word about the show. Uh, thumb us up. Feel free to comment on the YouTube channel. And um, yeah, that's it. We appreciate you listening. Have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you again next time.